Wow, that is super awkward. And there's a balance to be found between playing it big with the other big players and playing it small so you don't kind of get outside your own box. Untapping that potential in you, obviously that's such an exciting journey. I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming, oh, I believe in this dream I've been dreaming, oh, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming, oh, I believe in this dream I've been dreaming, oh. What's up, Believe Nation? It's Evan. I believe in you, and this channel is designed to be a part of your daily success routine. I've decided to blow up. I've decided to get to 10 million subscribers. It's a scary journey, and I've decided to take you guys along the ride with me. Now to play that bigger game, I need to get out of my own way. I need to find out what my limiting personal beliefs are and crush them. So in today's episode, I sit down with Australian clinical psychologist Tess Crawley and she dives deep into my brain, extracting stories and pushing me to become a better version of myself. I hope you guys enjoy. So I am here with Tess Crawley. Tess is all the way from Australia. It's five o'clock at night for me. She's 9 a.m. Thank you for making this time work. And just quickly for my audience, Tell us the, the intro for you and what you do. Sure thing. Okay, so I'm a clinical and forensic psychologist here in Australia. But in terms of a more glo global audience, if you like, I'm doing a lot of mentoring for business professionals, predominantly mental health professionals, but entrepreneurs, creative entrepreneurs, and so on. So we're here. And we're it's, here. It's, this is it. It's happening. So, so this, is, this is my challenge to play a bigger game, to go for my 10 million, <laughs> to become a household name. And every time that I've made a big breakthrough, I think, in my business has come from, from busting through another limiting belief. And so I think the biggest thing is I don't, I don't know what I don't know. And I don't know what the, when I can recognize something, I try to go out and attack it. But um, I love for you to dig in and see what comes up and, and see yeah. how we can rebuild Evan Carmichael. So where do we go? Tell me, tell me the process. What do you want to do? What do you All want right. to know? Okay. Well, I've got questions. I hope that's okay. okay. I've got questions. Okay. So my questions are why, why, why do you need 10 million subscribers? What's in it for you? So the 10 million is just a number. It's not, it's not like it has mm -hmm. to be 10 million for me. Mm -hmm. I have a lifetime goal of I'm trying to solve the world's biggest problem untapped human potential. I think most people either, I think everybody has Michael Jordan level talent at something. They just mm -hmm. either don't know what it is or they do, but they don't believe in themselves enough to chase it down. And that is my lifelong ambition to try to solve that problem. Fully recognizing that I'm never going to do that for the world, but I'm going to try to get as close as I can to it. So it's the empty the, the ocean with a ladle every day and just doing yeah, as much right. as it's a big goal. It's a big goal. The bigger goal is a really big goal. That's massive. It's the big goal. I don't have any in-between goals, really. Like, I don't have a five-year goal or 10-year goal. It's really what I'm, my lifetime mission, and then what I'm working on right now. The purpose mm -hmm. of having something like a 10 million goal, for me, is just to rearrange my thinking to try to play a bigger game. Even when I came up with that mission to solve the world's biggest problem, uh, it meant not doing things like one-on-one -on -one coaching. So I don't do one-on-one -on -one coaching as much as I love it because it doesn't lead to being able to have that big reach and impact. Yeah. So everything I do is around big reach and impact. Now I'm trying to figure out how to do it more. Um, I've yeah. got my mom's voice in, in my head. That's my parents on the wall here behind me. Um, if you can see, it might be a little small, but such, I'm a, like, such a rock star photo, rock star photo. I'm like eight beautiful. or nine here. And those are my parents. And, <laughs> and they, my mom especially always taught me that if you have the ability, then you have the responsibility. And so uh, it's knowing that I have the ability to do it. And so I feel a responsibility to go out and spread hope and positivity and believe and 
um, getting out of my own way to, to do it. So it's not about 10 and then like, woo, I, I made it and I'm done. It's just trying to reshape how I think so that I'm forcing myself to, to take bigger risks and play a bigger game. Yeah. Okay. So I call those signposts in the road ahead, you know, something you can grab hold of and, and sort of pull yourself forward. You can see that, you can see that it's visible, it's tangible. And the big picture goal is so big. It's, it's a bit overwhelming even to think about that. I'm sure some days. Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to look at it as big why and little why. So like my big why is the, the mission. And then the little why is when the big why is too overwhelming and too crazy, then my little why is just the, the, the community. So I look at my YouTube comments and I know that I I may not be able to do that big thing, but I can, I've helped these hundred people today. And that helps ground me in that the work that I do is important. Yeah. And that is very real. So these are tangible things that we're talking about. You know, the tangible realness, the comments that you get from people, the numbers on the, on the subscribers, all that sort of stuff. I mean, people are going to Google me, no doubt now and say, I've got 58 subscribers. I'm not going to advise you on how, how to build your subscribers on YouTube. But, you know, untapping that potential in you, obviously, that's such an exciting journey. At what point did you decide that that was your big picture goal? Like, how did that come to be? My perspective is I think your purpose comes from your pain. And whenever you are feeling the most worthless as a human being in your life, then that, then helping people who are go currently going through that becomes the ultimate thing that makes you feel great about yourself. So I struggle so much as an entrepreneur in my first business being 19 and struggling and making $300 a month and also isolating myself in that I was too embarrassed to tell my friends that I wasn't making money. And so that made it even worse and made me super, you know, isolated. Then once I had some success, I found that by helping out other entrepreneurs who are currently going through that same pain that I went through, I resonate so strongly with them that when I help lift them up a little bit, it makes me feel like I'm helping my own 19 year old, mm -hmm self and and that is still a drug that never goes away for me when we closed the sale i used to go to mcdonald's and just buy french fries and we would split a large french fries with the three of us uh who are in the business because we couldn't afford a meal you know that's, yeah, right. I, like that's real for us at least and so when i do i think this leads into like my tour when i do traveling and stuff i love meeting with entrepreneurs and i still resonate more strongly with the pure startup who has no money, who is just getting started and every dollar counts because that's still where I live. Even though I'm way beyond it, I still resonate way more with that person than the woman who's making 10 million a year and is, a, is crushing as an entrepreneur. And so when I told Steve, my agent, and, and um, I know you're connected to him too, around what I wanted to do for my tour, he said, you're playing small, you're playing it too safe, you should be charging for this. And that fear comes up of, oh, well, not everybody can afford to get in. Plus my, my biggest fear is of disappointing people and letting people down. I never go all the way to sabotage it, but I think it keeps me playing smaller. And so whenever I can recognize it and catch it, I try to do the thing that would make myself proud. But I think a lot of it is still on autopilot. And, and yeah. The idea of letting somebody down and wasting their time or, or ripping them off, um, even it would never be an intention, but if that was the result and they felt that way, it would destroy me. Um, yeah. If somebody felt I'm a fake or I'm a loser, or I'm an idiot, or I don't care about that stuff. But if somebody, you'll get troll and hater comments all the time, that stuff doesn't bother me. But if somebody felt like um, I had let them down, that would destroy me. That would destroy me. Yeah. Because um, that's an internal thing. That's an internal thing. That's a feeling that you've got. I mean, I think that sense of isolation that you talked about with entrepreneurs, that's the same thing that brought me to what I'm doing. 
okay. is knowing that, you know, you, you can be a, pr a private practice owner. You can have a whole team of people working around you. But when you're the one at the top of the tree or the boss, you're alone and you're expected to know it all, or at least you put that expectation on yourself and you, you expect yourself to get it right all the time, which is really a one-way road to burnout. And I think that's very true for all entrepreneurs, that they're very much alone and having to prove that they're doing this for the right reasons or having to prove that they're successful because let's face it you choose to open your own business you're rejecting a whole lot of other ideas i've actually just been listening to your one word okay as i got out of my car this morning it was you know writing down the five things a big stick about why you don't want to go back to being employed by somebody else right and you know people have given all of that stuff up in order to prove that their business ideas is valid and successful and all that sort of stuff. And I think when we get to that level where you're then worrying about letting people down, that's an internal thing. That's a very, you being isolated again, you being okay. isolated with that, that feeling of letting people down and it ends with you, doesn't it? The buck always ends with you. The buck stops there. Yeah. Where's that come from? Like, where, I remember the story right at the start of your one word with your 19-year-old okay. self, you know, quitting from your business and then humbly going back and saying, I unquit. Right, um, right. Yeah. Was that part of it, that whole sense of letting people down, being a failure, that, that quitting moment, was that part of that? I don't know. Maybe. I, I yeah. think if I had to, if I, to logically think through, like what I can, the best answer I can give you right now would be I think it comes from my parents believe comes to my parents, a sense of responsibility comes to my parents. From my dad's side, it was, you know, we're never late. We're never late for things. Mm. We're always early. Um, even, the, even the name Carmichael is a, is a Scottish clan and has a French slogan for the, every, every Scottish clan has a slogan, I guess. And ours is toujours prêt, which means always ready. So we're always ready. Mm. We're always on time. We're always early. Like my, my dad, my grandpa, myself, I'm, I was always early and still am always early for things. Like this call, you know, set, I'm early, ready to go. The idea of being late for somebody like destroys me as well. Mm -hmm. My mom's side was more the, the duty to do something greater, the duty mm -hmm. to be of service, to, to play a greater role. Um, my dad is the most humble, nicest person you're ever going to meet in the world. Um, doesn't have massive ambitions to do great things. Um, my mom is more the ambitious side and I remember when I was probably around that age, eight or nine, I, I did a little family newspaper and I went to go interview her for my family newspaper and asked her why she wanted to be a lawyer. And she said, I'm not a lawyer. Like she interrupted me and stopped me and said, I'm not a lawyer. I'm a constitutional lawyer. And the difference Ooh. is lawyers follow the laws where constitutional lawyers help make the laws. And, and it was always that sense of uh, contribution and, and giving back and doing more and the if you have the ability, you have the responsibility, all that kind of stuff. So that side of, of contribution with my dad's um, never being late and, and um, I don't know, that's kind of formed where I'm at. The, the whole qu not quitting on the business, um, I think really came back to just not wanting to live out of regret. Pulling up a whole bunch of Evan's stories and then you, you can make the soup that you make and see where it goes. Um, <laughs> When I was 18, I went to Paris. It was my first time uh, going to Paris. And I was standing outside the Notre Dame Basilica, uh, you know, the famous French church there in Paris. And I had my map open. I was trying to figure out where to go next. And this French girl comes up and asks me for directions. And I thought she was cute and I wanted to ask her out, but I was too afraid. And it didn't even twig with me that why is she asking, like she's French, why is she asking me for directions? 
with my map. It didn't, it didn't register. So long story short, I gave her the direction. She left and I felt terrible about myself that I didn't, um, I didn't at least try. You know, I was too afraid to at least try. So she left and she crossed the river and then I tried to take a picture of the scene just to remember it. I came home and I blew up that picture and put it up on my wall, kind of like this. Um, I put it up on my wall and, and I didn't tell anybody what it meant, just people walked in and they saw this beautiful French riverside. But to me, that meant I don't want to live with regret. I, I, would, I can deal with failure. I can deal with um, it not working out, but I don't want to deal with not knowing. That painful situation in Paris changed my mindset so that whenever I was faced with something, uh, I will push through the fear of failure for the price of knowing. And so yeah. with my business, when I first got into it, I didn't know if it would work or not. I had high paying job opportunities to jump in and, and go off and do. And I had this simultaneous job to go and be a co-owner in a business and make $300 a month versus, you know, hundred thousand a year and travel around the world, dream job. And I, that was the most difficult decision in my life. Basically deciding the, the deciding point was I've been looking at that picture for the past year on my wall. I said, I don't want to live with regret. And so I'm going to go and take the startup company opportunity because I may not get it again. I, I could get another job. It may not be the same job. It may not be as good a job, but I could get another job. I don't know if I'd ever get this kind of thing again. And I might regret not doing it. So that's why I went and did it. And the same thing happened when I had the I quit moment. I just felt like I hadn't given it everything yet. I felt like there was still... I could quit on something if I knew I gave it everything. And I just felt like if I didn't just see it through at least a little bit longer, then I would regret it. And so that's what kept me to keep going. And it's still the framework that I use today when I'm afraid of doing something. Um, if I look at the tour, like even this morning, I woke up and I was, I was afraid of my tour. I was nervous. I hadn't done practice yeah, yeah, in the past but... 24 hours. And I'm nervous. And, and I'll just tell myself, this tour is going to be the greatest thing of all time. Like this is the tour that will make my mark on the world. And if I don't do it, then I'll regret it until the rest, until I'm dead. You know, it's like, so that pain, maybe, maybe it's unhealthy or maybe it's the best thing I should be doing. But um, if I have a, a pain of like, I have a hangnail of pain, then I'll punch myself in the arm with regret so that I don't feel the pain of the hangnail anymore. And it forces me into action. It, I think it was more out of fear of regret that this, that I hadn't given it everything, that there might be something else that I could do that I would, that I would regret quitting too soon on the business. But it also fits really nicely with your values too. You know, those family values that run straight through you, uh, you know, that, that whole thing of giving it everything, being ready, being professional, you know, making sure that you're not running just because you're scared, but, but making sure you're pushing forward to see where the limits are, where the boundaries are. That sounds very much aligned to that family value that you carry really strongly. Sounds really important to you. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's still believe and, and believe comes from my parents. Yeah. That being said, like I quit on lots of stuff too. I don't think I quit on people enough or soon enough uh, because I'm afraid of disappointing them or letting them down mm -hmm. or um, uh, I'm happy to have hard conversations, but I, I, I also believe in people too much sometimes and that mm -hmm. I always see what they could become, even though if they're not committed to becoming that person. Um, yeah. So there's pros and cons of believe. And uh, that's what I'm trying to break through. Well, I think the, the downside of belief too is when you get let down. You know, when we put our faith in something and we get let down. I feels like it's not a thing for me, but it might be. I mean, I'm trying to think of stories of, of if somebody lets me down, it doesn't tilt me. Like it doesn't make me, I'm super understanding. 
for some reason. Um, I don't take it personally when somebody lets me down. Maybe I should, or maybe I'm missing the whole thing and there's, you're going to tell me that I'm, in, nope. in, yeah, I am. Um, but I don't feel, I don't feel like that resonates with the stuff that we talked about. I don't feel like people letting me down is, um, something that is a big deal right now. Just touching on that, letting, not letting people go soon enough. You know, I think that, that, you know, we do have people around us that can disappoint us in there, uh, whether it's lack of faith in us or lack of um, loyalty or whatever it is when people let us down. You mentioned, you mentioned that yourself, that not letting people go soon enough. Is that because they're, they're letting you down? Or is what would make it easier for you to draw a, ba- a boundary? So, so loyalty is a big thing for me. And if somebody is loyal and is, is starting to, is, is trying an effort, then, then I'm, I want to keep going. My internal compass is along the lines of as long as we're moving forward together, I'm, I'm happy to be with you. And some people you can run with and some people you have to crawl with and like slowly carry them across the street. I'm so addicted to the growth process of people that as long as they're loyal and they're trying, I have patience mm. beyond what I should have patience for because I could, if I abandon that one person, I could have eight people who were running with uh, instead of having that one person that I'm walking with and taking a lot of my effort. Um, I've made some changes to that, but still I think a good chunk of my team like may not be the best in the world at what they do, but they're, they're so loyal to me and they, and they, and they put in the work that, I would have a super hard time letting somebody go. If you did something against me or against the company with intention matters so much to me, I think, I think that's it. Like mm. if your intention is good. I'm with you. And I, I believe in where you can go. If your intention is bad, then, then you're out. I have no problem letting you go. When I'm talking to business owners and they're, they're talking about recruitment and they're talking about the um, challenges, how to, and they have a lot of fears around what if I choose the wrong person? What if I choose not the best person? Uh, and a lot of the advice I give people is around thinking about the right fit. So that's that personality stuff. That's that loyalty stuff and that values-based stuff. You know, does this person speak to your goals and, and, and are they aligned with where you're trying to, to, to go? So how does all of that feed into the barriers that you talk about? You know, your, your 10 million subscriber goal, it's a big lofty goal and I love it. I think it's brilliant. But those barriers, you talked before right at the start, we're talking about the barriers you sort of, you play small. What do they look like? Those barriers to you, how do they, how do they feel? So the one that comes to mind is just the fear of disappointing people. I think the challenge is I don't know how it manifests. If I knew, then I would, I would attack it. I, I like attacking yeah. problems. Um, if you point something out, you give me homework, I'll go do it. You know, I'll do it. I'll do the homework. I'm a good student. Um, I want to, I want to crush it. So even the idea of doing the tour, I wanted mm-hmm. to do a free tour. It's supposed to be coffee shop meetups, make it free for all entrepreneurs and just go and hang out at the coffee shop for a couple hours. And Steve said, no, you're playing small. You need to charge for this. And so great. That night I decided I'm going to charge for this and mm-hmm. just work through it and create the landing page and like got to work immediately on doing it. Um, so I, I like having assignments to, to work on and, and push through. I think it's, I don't know how it manifests itself or maybe there's something totally different that, is ringing in your head that is sounding off alarm bars at alarm bells that I'm not even aware of. Mm. Like the last mm. thing you talked about, about people disappointing me. I don't feel like it's an issue, but maybe it is. And I need to go test that, you know? Um, 
I guess that's why I'm talking to you. <laughs> to fish and like find something and say, this is where I love, just I, I love being told that I suck at something. When I'm getting help or getting advice from people, um, I'll often lead with that. Like, tell me I'm an idiot. Tell me, tell me where I suck. Cause then it means like it's grounded and I, I rock. I feel like I'm amazing, but I know that I suck at a bunch of stuff. So it gives permission. I don't want people to hedge on their advice. Be just tell me here's what, here's where you suck, Evan. And and see, like, so yeah. you, I'm, I'm grateful for that. You're not hurting my feelings. Yeah. I'm not known for my tact. So uh, I'm glad I've got permission <laughs> to be tactless. <laughs> um, I'm like, okay, people watching might not know that we've not had a conversation before. So right. this is our very first conversation. So this I'm still it. getting to know you, right? Yep. So this is very, very real. So the questions I'm asking aren't loaded yet. They might right. eventually become loaded, but yes. they're not loaded yet. You know, we're just getting yep. to know each other. One thing I did want to ask you is when was the last time you or the biggest time that you remember disappointing someone? Uh, what, what, what still pushes that makes you feel sick button? You know, that button that we've all got makes you feel sick when you think about it. Like, oh my God, I wish I hadn't done that. You know, take that back when you let someone down. The only one that comes to mind and like, I don't have that many, I think, because either one, I play so safe that it doesn't happen. Right. Mm -hmm. Or two, mm -hmm when I commit to something, I'll just over deliver so much. Like for the tour now that it's a paid thing, I'm bringing so much at like, this is life or death. Like every event for me, yeah. when people are just saying, okay, 45 bucks, I'm going to show up and maybe have a good time. Like for me, it's important. And so I, yeah. I, I, I come in at a thousand when they're expecting a 10. So I, I rarely give them a nine. Right. Okay. So, the, but the only one that comes to mind recently was there's um, a friend of a friend who I was, trying to help out and I had taken over, I just bought a local business here and I took on so many people's problems um, that for a week I had to take stress pills. If you're around me and I see a problem and, and I feel like I can help, then it's that ability responsibility thing. I, I want to dive in and help. Because I was taking on a whole new team in that process, I took on too many people's problems and wasn't sleeping and had to take stress pills and I had to decide, okay, there's some people that I just need to I need to not help right now. My bandwidth is out and I'm, mm -hmm. I've never really had that. Like I don't stress out like crazy. I don't have to take stress pills. Um, so there's one guy in particular I'm thinking of that I let down and still has a quasi bad taste in his mouth. We're not enemies or anything. And, and he would take a phone call or mm -hmm. something, but um, yeah. I didn't leave it like, like I normally would if I, felt like I had disappointed somebody, I would follow up and I would help them and I would, I would make sure that they get what they need to get. And I didn't for him. I had to let it go because I was feeling too stressed out. And so I let him go. And that's, I'm sure he barely cares, but to me, it's still like. <laughs> it's still there. Yeah, it's still there. The, the brand that I'm working under with my mentoring stuff at the moment is finding proof. So I've just uncovered some for you. Okay. So we've just, we've just identified you struggled to come up with one example of letting people down. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And yet Taking this notes. is this big, this good. Cause so am I. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. big, one big overriding fear for you is fear of disappointing people, but you struggled yeah. to come up with a single example of that. Oh yeah. 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 So, sure. so what, yeah. So what we need is for you to, I think there's two things going on. I think that there's this big, what if, what if scenario that is actually just, let's call it crap, because it's not true. It's not going to happen. There's lots and lots of evidence that you don't let people down. Yeah. So there's that. 
then I've got, I'm just wondering, your value is so aligned to helping people. If you have 10 million subscribers and they all say, Evan, can you help me? Yeah. You're not going to be able to help every one of them individually. And I'm wondering if that's yep. the sort of little background noise that might be that play it small, play it small, because I can't help everyone individually. Is that ringing any bells with you or is that, am I just barking up the wrong tree? Um, I think there's, there's pieces there. So my YouTube comments, for example, I, I used to do every, I think everybody gets, should get a response. And so I, when you're first starting up, it's easy because you get one comment yeah. a day and then it's easy to respond with when now my YouTube channel grew, I couldn't physically do it. Like, I, I mean, it, it would mean I would not make content because it's just sheer volume mm. of comments. Mm. So I hired somebody to do the comments on behalf of the team, just like you would hire a receptionist at your office because you can't handle yeah. all the phone calls. And yeah. um, he goes in and he responds to the comments as himself, not trying to pretend to be me. And then he'll save ones for me that I need to see. So I've let go of the need to have to respond to every single one myself. Uh, the like on Instagram, for example, he's doing all my Instagram comments. He'll save the ones that I need to see. But it's usually the negative ones that I ask for, or the ones where I can bring some value. If somebody says, "Hey, Evan, um, this is great. Keep up the good work. Thumbs up." It's like, okay, I don't need to see that. Like, thank you, thank you. Like, I'm super grateful, but. Yeah. In terms of what I need to take action on, I want the feedback. I don't, I don't want to yeah. know where I might be able to provide some value in. The DMs, I like doing video DMs for people. And that's starting to get, we're just about to cross 100,000 subscribers or followers on Instagram. And that's starting to get a little intense now on, on DMs coming in. Um, so I may have to either just let that go or give it to somebody else. Um, if it's consistent, I will, I will get out of my own way and, and figure out a path that makes sense. But for yeah. short first, I will, I will screw myself over pretty hard. I went to an event in LA. Uh, I was speaking at an event and it was me and Gary V and a bunch of other guys at an event. And uh, I was there for four days and I spent the entire time except for my session. I had to go speak and Gary's session. I went to go support and the other organizer, I went to go see his session. Apart from that, I spent the entire time in the lobby of the mm -hmm. hotel, just meeting people recognized my face and gear and all that. So they came mm -hmm. and said hi and, and wanted help. Um, so I spent the entire time in the lobby helping them. And I would wake up at seven and go to go help them in the lobby and then look up and it was already like two in the afternoon, grab a quick bite and then come back to the lobby and, and keep helping. And, and I said no to all the like VIP dinners and that stuff makes me um, uncomfortable anyway, which we can dive into maybe. But <laughs> I would stay up till like two in the morning, uh, two in the morning helping them. And then we'd do that again for the next three days. So I spent four days basically waking up at seven and going all the way until two and forget to go to the bathroom and forget to eat and forget to do anything. Um, and running the fever the whole time, but not even noticing. Like, oh, yeah. I'm, I, I have a fever, I should take an Advil, but I'm not, I don't feel it, right? And then, and then I got sick, like massively sick, of course, because you're doing four days of nonstop. And so it's, it's the thing that I love doing the most, but I need to, I wouldn't get trapped to have to, if that was happening every day, I would, I would find a way, just like I did with the stress pills, I'm like, okay, I need to cut this off. My natural instinct would be to go in and, and just try to help as much as possible. And um, I think partly from the sense of duty from my parents, but 
one of the biggest comments that I got from the people who I was helping in LA was you're so like, you've made it, you've got this huge channel, you've made it. You're one of the speakers here. You're the only one who's sitting here in the lobby, still talking to us. I wish the other speakers were so humble as well. And, and it made me, uh, want to go back and like come back the next year be the biggest, like get the 10, come back next year, be the, and still do the same thing. I think it's the thing. I think it's the value that needs to be shared. Like, I think what I'm doing, I see that as an example for others and I want to be the shield for them to go off and, and be kind and be humble and, and have belief, but also be confident in yourself and, and not only do it for the money or in the entrepreneurial world, um, chasing the wrong things. I think I could sabotage myself in the short run on things like that. But if it, if it stayed consistent, I would find a way out of it to, to change up and save me from myself. And thinking ahead to that, you know, you talked about having the really big goal and then you've got your 10 million goal because you don't really have many of the mid range goals and maybe the mid range, mid range goals are self care related. How do you look after yourself? What happens when you, you talked about your Instagram and your DMs, you know, how do you manage that? What's your plan for that? You're thinking ahead to looking after yourself. So you don't get that sick every time you go to an event because you're burning yourself out. I mean, I live by my calendar. I schedule everything into my calendar, including my personal stuff. So, you know, I don't have a cell phone number, so nobody can reach me. Um, Saturday is my day with family, not even family, like admin chores, laundry, just together family. And I'll surprise my wife and plan a day for her every Saturday. Whenever I try something new, it always stretches my calendar a little bit and I can handle little bits of stretch. But then if, if it's something that, Oh, I like this thing. I want to do more of it. Then it always goes back to my calendar and say, how do I make this sustainable? Because the way I've been doing it for the past week is not sustainable. And I find yeah. solutions. So there's, I don't ever have, well, not ever. I don't, I don't typically have like that one time when I bought the company was this big change that then really impacted my schedule. I live by my schedule. And then as things get tweaked around, um, as I feel pressure and it's encroaching on my time too much and my happiness, then I'll make a change relatively quickly. I don't think let things typically get like way out of chaos. Um, I'll usually make pretty quick adjustments. So it may mean I give up my Instagram DMs right now. I'm, I'm, I'm doing less of it. Um, I'll just go through it once a day. Um, and I'll save my questions for later and like batching things together. So it saves time and that may work. And at some point I'll have to, make an adjustment on it as well. I think that's the thing. It sounds to me like you, you're organized and you're dedicated and you're professional right down and disciplined. I think that's another word, mm-hmm. you know, really disciplined. Um, and it surprises me. No, it actually doesn't really. When I think about those values that come through and this playing small sort of, it's, it's about the humility in there. There's a humility in there. Um, you, know, you talked about entrepreneurs doing things for the wrong things. And I know, I know Gary Vee talks about that too. You know, the whole idea of it's not about hashtag laptop lifestyle. It's actually about doing things because you're passionate about doing things and you're really clearly passionate. I mean, that's, that's not a question at all. I'm going to be digging for a little while. I think okay, yeah, yeah, dig. play, I'm playing small because yeah. I'm, I'm really stuck. It's a mystery L- to well, me. me. I guess it's a mystery to you too. Let me give you another story that may, that may help. Uh, it's a two parter. One, I have Kanye West up on my wall back there. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first came into contact with Kanye, I didn't like him. I didn't like the bravado. I didn't like the ego. That anti-humility was, was toxic for me. Um, I grew up, and I'd probably take it from my dad's side more than anybody else, of, of humble and 
Uh, maybe it's a Canadian thing. I don't know, but humble and polite and nice. And you're not supposed to brag and you're not supposed to um, definitely do the wrong thing, but even how you carry yourself. Uh, and it was never like imposed and, you know, directing me. It was more just by observing and being around and seeing how my father acted that I, that became part of me. Um, and so anybody who's only about flashy suits and cars and fancy things and um, that didn't seem to have substance would really bother me um, on top of anybody doing something for the wrong reason, a uh, snake oil salesman for sure. That was um, not something that I agreed with. Um, as I started diving into my own world of the content that I consume, I wanted to be around people doing bigger things in my circle. I'm the, I'm the most successful person that I know, like that I hang out with. And so I wanted to be around Oprah Winfrey and Elon Musk and Steve Jobs and these people. So my content helps me. I make it selfishly for me and then I share it. So I'm around Oprah and Elon and these people every day. And slowly, I didn't even notice it. Slowly their perspectives, their views, their way of thinking seeped into me to help me become better, bolder, more confident, where I can have Kanye up on my wall and love him for what he can do and still not agree with some of the things that he does and that's okay. Um, and how that ultimately manifested that was a shocking moment for me was I was driving with my dad in, in his car. He was going to go ahead and go buy a new car and he had to pick it up like two hours out of town or something. So we had his two hour ride to hang out and, and catch up. And I had just signed a deal with a, a big CEO of a multi-billion dollar company. And the deal was every month for an hour, we were going to get on a, a hangout like this, but with a live audience. And we were going to do Q and A with my audience. So they would ask a question, he would answer, then I would answer the next question and kind of repeat that. And my father, I remember asking me, how did you get the courage or the guts to be on the same level as this big CEO? And he asked it not out of a negative, but out of like, awe, like just so happy. Because that's not how we grew up. It's very humble. So now I'm on at, how old am I? I don't know, mid-30s. I'm in... I'm on the same stage as this giant CEO of this multi-billion dollar company, a world that would be, you know, foreign, I guess, to my father. And I thought about it and it didn't seem like that big a deal for me. And I think it's because I, I keep hanging around every day with Oprah and Elon and Kanye and these people that, mm. that a CEO doesn't seem like some huge deal for me. I, I was still nervous about it and the first time and all that stuff. And it's a, at the time, a big deal for my company, but it didn't seem that far out of reach where the Evan of three or five years ago, or definitely 10 years ago would have been, would have likely sabotaged that and said, Oh, I can't, I'm not good enough to do that. Like there's no way I could be on the same level and answer those questions. And so I think the environment matters. And, and I've picked up through osmosis of all the people that I profiled um, new habits and and changing my belief systems and I think that's that steady exposure has slowly moved me forward to the point where if you look at it on a on a three or five year or ten year window it's it's a lot but on an individual day step by step you don't feel any different from one day to the next and so I, I can continue down that path just like I've done on my YouTube channel um, the the point of this new challenge with Steve is to figure out okay well if if how do we rip that out so it goes even faster you know, because yeah. I know there's still, I'm not, uh, there's still so much more that I have to grow and, and go through. I think there's, there's potential. I mean, you could easily, you know, take advantage of those relationships 
for your own gains, but you, you're, I, I don't see you doing that. I mean, I've only been paddling around in some of your content. I haven't really dived into all of it, but you know, I see that you have your 10 rules, you've got all that stuff, but I don't see you, you know, arms around Oprah Winfrey every five minutes. You know, you, that, that's, again, there's that values thing. There's that, um, you don't want to let down those relationships either. You know, you want to show those relationships respect and professionalism and integrity, obviously. So there's yeah. a balance to be found, isn't there? There's a balance to be found between playing it big with the other big players and playing it small so you don't kind of get outside your own box and get looking like you're doing something disrespectful. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I think there's there's a there's definitely an element of showmanship that I don't agree with and I don't I don't like selling something that I'm that I that I can't deliver on. Um, so definitely ties back to not wanting to disappoint people, but also not being disrespectful or dishonest with people. Um, so that's definitely there coupled with the fact that I could do a lot more and I can deliver a lot more than I'm currently delivering. Um, so the adding more showmanship or adding more bravado or adding more, um, promotion or sales, I guess, for what I do knowing that I can deliver it because I'm, I'm probably selling myself at a quarter of what I'm actually capable of doing. And then I'll deliver on the full when they thought they're getting the quarter and everybody's happy, but I should be maybe selling at the three quarters and selling yeah. the full, right? Or selling at the full and then delivering a little bit more. So I just, you can still over deliver, but I think I'm over delivering too much under selling myself too much. And that probably shows up in a, in a bunch of different areas. What would be the first thing that you would change? Just, just picking up on that, you know, how you could change how you sell yourself and play it a bit bigger in your self-promotion. I mean, what would be the first thing that you would do differently? As soon as I think of something, I do it. And, and I mean, that's what Steve is great at is he'll call mm. me out and say, like, you need to sell this harder and redo that video and say this. Like, okay, great. I feel uncomfortable, <laughs> but I'll do it. Right? Like, I'm, I'll take on the challenge. Like, Steve never pushes me to the point where it's beyond my values, right? Yeah. Where I'm going to promise yeah. something I know yeah. I can deliver on. We're never going to get that far. And because I'm yep. so grained in that, there's no way I'm ever going to go that far. So that's okay. Um, I don't know. Like if I knew it, I, there's, there's nothing that's on my to-do list or idealist that then I really want to do and I'm afraid to go off and do. It's the I don't know what I don't know. Like if you look, yeah, at, my okay. videos, if you look at my videos and you said, hey, Evan, like you, you, the way you start that video really sucks and you got to like try saying, I'll do it. I'll try it. I'll try that hat on and, and we can come back and analyze it. It doesn't usually work exactly word for word, but there's something there that can make it better because it still has to custom kind of fit for me. But um, if I hadn't answered that question, I'd be doing it. And so that's, I think that's the biggest okay. challenge. That's in a way it's the block, isn't it? That you can't see immediately what, um, and that's true for any entrepreneur. I'm not, this is not a failing in you. It's true that we, we can't see, we can't see what the magical next lever is that we need to pull to launch up to that next level. I think sometimes it's about trying different things. You know, trying on for size. What does it, what does it seem to put on a bit more of a showman's hat for you? I mean, you do so much, you know, to ask you to put on more of a showman's hat. What does that look like? I don't know what that looks like. I mean, you say that when Steve asks you to do something and it puts you into a zone that's a little bit uncomfortable, yeah. what does that feel like for you? I mean, what, what, what makes you uncomfortable? What sort of things? Give us an example. Okay, so when I first started working with Steve's company, um, mm. I had I had Janie as a as a trainer. So yeah, Janie helps you refine your message and all this stuff. And and she said, okay, 
first activity, you need to um, pretend like I'm your girlfriend and start talking to me like you're my girlfriend. Like, wow, that is super awkward, but okay, great. And, and I probably, you know, really stumbled my way through it and sucked, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll try almost anything, you know, as long as it, as long as it doesn't go against my values, I'll try almost anything. And I take pride in, in trying difficult things. Even if it fails, I'm okay with that. I, I take pride in the, the attempt. Um, so Steve has me, we're making videos to promote the tour. And I wrote a yep. script. That's way too soft script. You got you to gotta sell it harder and push it harder. Uh, like, okay, great. And I, I redid the whole script. And then he'll tear that one apart and then give me a final script. I can't read word for word of the script because I have to still kind of flow. But, but it'll yep. be pretty close. And then it, it's more what he wants whether it's a video, whether it's creating content, whether it's strategy, like even the idea of the tour scared me. He said, you know, a 90 day tour for people, for most people would be really scary. For you, it's not that scary. The, the unpaid one, like traveling across the country for 90 days, that's a quarter of the year gone, 23 cities for most people would be really crazy. But for you, it's not that crazy. Like, yeah, it's not that crazy. Okay. Like my wife had to quit her job to do it. That's scary for her. For me, it's like, okay, I could do it. But the idea of charging then is like, whoa, okay, there's a lot more preparation. I don't want to let people down. You know, not everybody can afford it. All those thoughts come into my head. But then it was that night, like, okay, great. Let's do it. I'll do it right now. And I don't know how it's all going to work out, but it's trust in the process. You know, so I trust in Steve. Doesn't always lead me the right way, but he's got a pretty good at bat. Um, So it's the same thing. If there's something that's ringing true that says, hey, Evan, like you should try jumping into the pool naked or something like, okay, well, Tess said to jump into the pool naked. So here I go. <laughs> um, For the record, I did not say. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when Steve and I were first talking about this stuff, this is where he, we had a, a little breakthrough too, where he said, you should, you should, you need to do things that make you vulnerable because you look too perfect and too, like, I have no problem being vulnerable. I don't, he's like, you should go and wear a dress on the street. I could do that. I painted my nails and walked, and spent like two weeks with my nails painted. Like I, I don't, sharing stories, I don't mind. Ask me anything. As long as it doesn't throw my parents or somebody under the bus that I care about. And, and that's fine. I, I can couch the story enough that we get what we need without, without hurting anybody. But I don't mind being vulnerable. I don't, I don't have a, a problem with it. I think it actually is a superpower. I think the more that that's come out, the more people can connect with me. And it's a different style compared to what most um most of the male, I'm a man, you know, no weaknesses yeah. are out there doing. And so the, the values led kind of mm-hmm. content and thought leadership, I think is help people who are like me, like I'm introverted, mm-hmm. I'm shy. Um, and so I don't mind sharing that stuff. It doesn't bother me. I don't care about the judgment. Um, if somebody thinks I'm an idiot for wearing uh, orange nail polish to, to fight a fear, great. I don't feel like I let them down. And so that's, that's then where it like starts to twig. So the vulnerability part, I don't, I don't have an issue doing. I, I may not see how it connects to, if you said, Hey, in this video, you need to be more vulnerable and you need to, or you're calling me out here and say, Hey, Evan, like, you're not telling me the, the full story. Like you're, you're hiding something. All your answers are too perfect. Like I, I want some pain. Like, okay, good. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's a whole bunch there that I just blocked off that I'm trying to get through. Yeah, yeah. through. Um, but I don't have a problem with the vulnerability stuff. What I did want to ask you talking about that vulnerability and not be, and being okay with that. I mean, 
do you was there a turning point I mean I think most kids most adolescents don't want to buy into any sense of vulnerability there's that that it's a it's a transition into adulthood maturity I think makes us more comfortable with vulnerability was there a turning point that you can remember where you look back and you're really proud of how you withstood that that vulnerable moment or that painful moment that allowed you to grow and leap into that more mature comfortable with vulnerability phase it might be a young kid it might be an adolescent or it might be early adulthood but something where you really remember being able to withstand vulnerability I, nothing's coming to mind i i think i think even to it's like even that i don't have an answer to that means that i probably should have started sooner i think i did it when i was ready but i, I probably should have done it like five years sooner I'm trying to adopt the mantra that if you if you're if you're great the first time out, then you should have done it a couple of years ago. Yeah. Like if you're great on your first yeah, video, yeah. you should have done it years ago. Mm. And so every time that I've done it, I've been ready to do it. Um, like painting my nails was, I guess, not vulnerability. It was fear of judgment. I was ready to do it. Uh, I still felt it, and I did it. But vulnerability, allowing others to see your humanity. Yeah, you know, yeah, as, yeah. As, as an adolescent, that's a really tough gig. You know, I, I don't think I was as an adolescent. I think even in my early mm-hmm. days, I, I, think, I think one of the core problems of, of why it took so long to come out was I don't need to share anything to, um, I think things through myself. I don't need to talk about it mm-hmm. to anybody um, when I'm dealing with a problem. Uh, mm-hmm. So with my wife, as an example, she loves hearing about my day and I need to force myself to think about what happened today to share it with her because it brings us closer together for her. And I love hearing about her day, but I don't need to get it off my chest to share it. If I'm dealing with a problem, like, oh, I'm trying to figure out this YouTube thing. And I know she doesn't have domain expertise. If she knew what she was doing on YouTube, then I would be seeking knowledge, but just venting doesn't help me. I'm looking for answers. I need to digest it in my own head when I'm working through a problem uh, or emotions. Uh, mm-hmm. So sharing was never came as a natural need um, with friends in private or on the public setting. Um, I don't know when, like, I don't, I can't think of a moment that I feel really proud of that I said, wow, this okay. moment was when I was super vulnerable and, and it was great, which means like I should have done it sooner, right? Like I, it means I was never yeah. scared to do it. Yeah. What were you like as a younger kid though? I mean, were you, were you always brave or were you withdrawn or, you know, as a younger kid, did you, were you surrounded by friends and family? Did you feel bulletproof or did you feel the opposite of that? Um, I didn't have a ton of friends. I always had, I, was, I think I've always been introverted. I always kept with a tight circle of people whatever school or club I was at. Um, I was, I had entrepreneurial tendencies. I, I, you know, five years old, I painted a picture with my, my three-year-old little sister and we sold it to my neighbor for 10 cents and like started doing stuff like that. Um, Baseball cards and lemonade stands and all that kind of stuff. But at that time, entrepreneurship also wasn't, I'm 30, what year is it? I'm 39 in May. So I guess I'm 38 and a half Mm -hmm. now. Um, entrepreneurship wasn't seen as a career opportunity or path at that when I was growing up and, and nobody in my family was an entrepreneur. So I thought I wanted to be a banker, like high school yearbook, where you're going to be in 10 years, VP at a bank. Um, I was very hard working. I didn't do the best in school compared to my sisters. I have two sisters, one older, one younger. 
they usually got straight A's and I got B's, sometimes C's. Um, and when report cards came out, I always had to have the talk with my parents where we sit down and talk about my report card and how I'm not getting A's and I should be. But it always left on a positive. It was always, you're Evan Castrilli Carmichael, you could do anything that you put your mind to, which is still the kind of believe message. I never came out feeling like I was an idiot. It was always that, that I could do more. And then something happened last year of high school for whatever reason. I believed in myself more than, than my parents did. Um, and they just wanted me to get straight A's. And in my last year of high school, I got straight 90s. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I need to lie down and like think about why that happened. But something happened in the last year of high school that I just took everything more seriously and started betting on myself way more and applying myself. I don't think I'm super talented at many things. I think my YouTube channel has grown because of just consistency and hard work. And I've been doing three videos a day for five years, you know, like where people have a hard time finding time to do a video a week. I'm doing three a day. And, and that's yeah. led to a lot of growth. Um, I'm probably better at, at hacking things and not hacking like computer hacking, but just understanding things and listening and um, growth hacking like Instagram. I could pick it up quickly. You know, we started last year with 6,000 subscribers or followers. Now we're at a hundred almost. I can pick that stuff up really quickly. So that, that comes a lot more naturally than being in front of the camera. I'm better in front of the camera because of all the work. It's 6,000 videos and lots of training and, and I still want to get Ooh. better. But I had to be forced into the front. At the beginning, it was only about the people that I'm profiling, never about me. Like, I was always shocked. Why did people want to know my story? I'm not yeah. talking about jobs and Oprah and all these people. Like, I mean, I sold my first business, great, but who am I compared to these people? And, and after lots of feedback and requests and I've slowly like pushed myself more to the front, recognizing that my story has a lot of value and that's ultimately what will help move people um, down the road. So I forget even what the question was, but we went down a couple of tangents there. <laughs> <laughs> we did, we did. It was a good, a good tangent too. That thing about, you know, honoring your own value to others. Okay. That takes, I, I think that takes people, that's a little bit of a journey that people have to go on to get to that point. Um, I had an experience in the past 12 months where I realized there was a really niche part of, of private practice psychology that I knew a hell of a lot about that I didn't realize not many other people knew about. And not my favorite, it's, it's all about, you know, billing systems. It's not very sexy at all. That though has become a lesson for me in understanding that we all have these, these knowledge bases or these experience bases, or even if it's personality characteristics that convey something well, that is a value to others. And it takes a while for us to unlock that. So, I mean, it's great to hear that journey that you went on. I think that's a really valuable story for a lot of other entrepreneurs to be able to sit back and think, hang on a minute, what is it that other people find of value that I'm undervaluing in myself? Sure. Yeah. My approach with that now is I just try to, I'm trying to ask people, what do you think it's worth? Maybe it's totally wrong and Steve will destroy me for this. Um, or it's the best thing. I don't know. I had a meeting, I had a meeting yesterday with a guy who wants to do some work together on the YouTube channel and he's proposing something that is bigger than I've done before. And he said, well, how much would it cost? And I, and I, w I was, I went the other way and just leaned in on humbleness. He's like, you know what? I'm great at getting people attention. I am, I am great at being able to build 
content up and I could get your name out there pretty quickly so that lots of people know about you. I don't know how to price this. I have no idea. What's it worth to you? I've taken that approach a couple of times and it seems to, they almost feel bad for me or they feel like uh, they want to help me as opposed to being like a tough negotiation because I don't know what to charge. I have no idea what to put in. And so I show how good I am at doing the thing that I'm doing and then ask what it's worth to them. And then this guy's, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars net worth. He sees himself as a mentor and like, great. Like I would love to learn from this guy and learn a little bit more too. So making that humble approach, but then trying to get something for me in the process um, has been a, interesting tactic that seems to be working, but, but maybe Steve would uh, disagree or you would disagree. And uh, no. I don't know. I don't disagree. <laughs> we can gang up on Steve. I don't disagree. I think that, that the personal characteristics that you bring to the table, that's part of what you offer. You know, that's part of what you've got for sale, in, in, so to speak. And that's what sets you apart from others in the, in the sphere. You talked before about, you know, the whole, the alpha males in that motivational domain that we all know really well. You can't all be the same. I can't be one of them. You can't, you know, you're, you're clearly not that style and it works for you to not be that style. You've got to be, that's that in, in integrity stuff, you know, yep. knowing your values, knowing your, where your dignity sits, where your integrity sits and, and being really strong in that. For some reason, I'm thinking about meditation. And, oh, yeah. you know, I don't know. My mind will go weird places when we're talking. I'm um, thinking okay. meditation. I believe meditation works. I believe it works. I believe in the science. I've never found a way for it to work for me. Um, I've used the apps. I've sat with some, you know, super amazing people and done private sessions, like world-renowned people. And, and I come out and I, like, I don't know. I don't feel any different. Um <laughs> I don't want to disrespect people, but at the same time, I haven't figured out a way that it works for me. And I've been told a couple times that the problem with you, Evan, is that you're almost always in a meditative state anyway. And there's a piece of me that actually buys that. There's a piece of me that believes that, but I can't fully accept it because if I do, then I give up on continuing to try. And so I still believe as great as I think I am, I still believe there's still a whole bunch that I don't know and that there's still a teacher out there who's going to give me some great meditation. And so I am pretty well rooted in the how awesome I am camp. Um, yep. But now I need to figure out like, why do I suck? And how do I attack that? And that's why I tell people like, tell me that I suck because I'm so grounded in the I'm awesome that I need to know how I suck so I can get better at the at that thing. Um, how do you think you suck? Well, do I don't know. Like, that's why, that's why I'm doing this. You know, that's why when I get in it, the only, like I'm, I'm the only thing that comes to mind is the, is the disappointing people. And yet that's a huge advantage. Of course, of course, then you don't rip people off and all of that massive advantage. And where does it show its negative side that, that prevents me from doing what I want to do? Because above all else, you know, just keeping values in mind, I, I want to, I think I can have a huge impact. Like I think people need to hear, the message, the positivity. I think there's too much negativity, too much pessimism, too, much, too many bad role models. And, and I think I can be a voice. I have the ability, so I have the responsibility. I, think, I genuinely think I could have a huge impact on the world, but I'm not getting there to my abilities, but I don't know what I'm missing. You know, like I'm climbing as fast as I can up the mountain that I think I should be on, but I, I know, just like the meditation side, I know there's like 
I should be on that mountain and using this gear to get even faster because I have the duty to, to contribute. And that's the. Yeah. So you just, you just used some dirty words in my camp. Oh, yes. This is it. (laughs) Dirty words. Yes. We got it. Okay. What what am I, what am I, what am I missing? Should. Whenever I hear the word should, I start going, Oh, it gets my hackles going. I, I, so why should you be on this other mountain for meditation? If meditation doesn't work for you, too bad. You'll find something else, dude. I don't know why should comes into it with meditation. I don't know why should comes into it. I think there's a lot of should in your fear of disappointing people too. Could be. Um, mm. I don't want to. It's a, I, it's a great big stick to hit yourself over the head with. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. Um, if I didn't, here's the thing, I guess. If I didn't have that, I wouldn't. I need something to push me hard because otherwise I'm so grateful for everything I have and everything I've done. It's easy to stay on the course. It's easy to just keep doing what I'm doing. I'm super grateful. Like I could wake up every day and just respond to comments and know, holy cow, I'm having a huge impact. Or if the whole thing went away and YouTube blows up and I got nothing, I'm still grateful for the whole thing that's happened. Like, man, what a ride. That was crazy. So I'm so in that, that I think that's the biggest thing that, Steve is up against me on that. I, I know I can be doing more, but I'm not, and I'm not hungry enough for pushing myself enough to go and do more. I don't beat myself up saying I suck. Um, and, and always ride this guilt that I should be doing more. I, th- I don't know. I think it's both. I have a foot. I'm not in the middle. I have a foot in both camps. I'm awesome. And I'm so grateful and, and I'm humble as anything. And I'm trying to work on the other side where it's like, I want to do more. I should do more. I have a responsibility to do more. I'm not a religious person. I don't know if you are, but there's, um, there's a quote from the Bible that, that I love using and pushing religious people on. Uh, I forget the exact line, but basically God has given you gifts and you have to do something with those gifts. And if you've been given more gifts and you have an even greater duty or responsibility to do something with the gifts. And I feel like I have a lot of gifts. I think back to 19 year old Evan, I could be a shield for way more people. Uh, and that if I'm out, like even doing this, like having this session, a lot of people would be too embarrassed or ashamed to come on and talk to yeah. a expert and dive into your story and pat. And like, even this is not, this, this is, I'm pumped for this. This isn't a big risk for me. Like I'm, I'm excited. Like if I can learn something and get better, it's awesome. And somebody watches it, encourages somebody else to go talk to a, to a, a, a psychologist, someone who's going to help them through their problems. Like I'm so pumped for that. Like if this opens yeah. the gateway for mental health for people, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't, I think if that's gone, I don't know what I do. I think it's, I think it's just too easy to stay where I am and coast. If I don't have a, I should be doing more the ability. So you have the responsibility. So in there, then there's a question about who you're doing more for. And um, I mean, Steve's, popped into our conversation quite a bit today and I know that he's he's great at 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 guidance and pushing and I love Steve to bits but I'm curious to know you know in the in that should and in that not letting people down you're you've got to be in there somewhere and I'm not sure where you are and I don't think you are necessarily either you're saying that you're stuck in the middle between you're really grateful for what this amazing life that you've got and this amazing message that you can can share with people but you feel like you could be doing more. And it might be as simple as changing the should to could. I could be doing more. 
And is it, is it about what are my priorities? Is it about who am I doing this for? I mean, some of these questions you're going to have to go away and think about. Sure. Uh, I, and maybe, maybe that's, I mean, maybe it's the whole game. Um, I don't feel restricted by should, but maybe it's the entire yeah. thing. And it's just about could. I feel like I could. I feel like I should. I feel like I have responsibility. I feel like every time I open up and do something new that, that people are afraid to do, it gives permission for other people to do that too in a positive yeah. way, not like, hey, here's me yeah. on my private jet, you should go buy one too and make them feel less than, but here's me doing a talk session and maybe you should go do that too, right? If it feels yeah. right. Yeah. Um, I did EFT tapping, EFT tapping, what it is? E you know that one? Is it EFT tapping? Yeah, EF tapping I'm, not, I'm not trained in it. Yeah, I think, yeah. I, Whatever. yeah there's so, a few so different EFTs around, but yeah, there is a tap, tapping. Like, yeah, and you release and you say stuff. And I, mm -hmm. I did that with a local person here in Toronto. And we did an Instagram live that went to YouTube about it. Mm -hmm. And like, great. I was talking about getting over a few of roller coasters. And we, we tapped our way through it. And people in the comments were freaking out that I was doing this and so vulnerable and so brave. And it doesn't feel like that for me. It's great that it does that because if that encourages a conversation on mental health that helps other people, that's amazing. And so I see those comments and say, really? Like doing that was so inspiring. Then I feel like I should or could do more like what is a bigger yeah. version of that because if i can reach x number of people with this then i can reach x times 10 with with a more dedicated approach to it all the while knowing that i'm never going to hit my mission like the problem i'm solving will never be reached i'm only scooping out a little bit of water but i want to go from scoops to buckets but i'm never going to i'm never going to get all the water out um i don't know that's how i think yeah Maybe, like, Maybe I'm a no, psychopath. I don't know. You tell me. No, no, <laughs> no. And I know psychopaths, so don't worry. What I think is, you know, this big goal is so unattainable, you yeah. know, in a very real way. Okay. It needs to be broken down. It needs to be broken down into, into medium range goals that you can see that you've achieved those things. And the obvious ones like subscriber numbers, okay, they're tangible, but they... Like you said before, 10 million versus 5 million, it doesn't mean anything different other than, okay, more people are being reached. There needs to be something else in between that is closer to those principle-based goals because your big goal is a really principle-based one. Yeah. It's all about your values. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, maybe in further conversations, we'll get closer to being able to define some of those medium-range goals that are still principle-based but also tangible and achievable. So I think for any goal setting, if it's like the 10 million, if I don't hit it, I don't feel bad. But even if, even if it was a million or 2 million, if I don't hit it, I don't feel bad because I don't feel like I'm letting anybody down. Even a public declaration, I'm going to hit a million subscribers plus, you know, or 2 million subscribers plus by the end of the year and I don't hit it. It's like, I worked hard for it. Like I shot for the moon and I landed among the stars or however that expression is. Um, yeah. I don't, it doesn't, that won't mean anything to me. So I don't know what a bigger goal is to somebody else. Doing the tour and committing to the people who are coming out and paying to see me, that drives me to kick butt and be really ready. If I committed to you, like you give me an assignment, hey, Evan, by next month, I need you to do this. And I say, I'm going to do it. I'll do it not because this is public and people are watching, but because like, I don't want to let Tess down on this. Like this has to happen because I told her I was going to do it. So... Um, I don't know. I like, I don't know what the, what a medium 
thing would be where it's committed to an individual as opposed to a collective. We are going to discover that over do, time. Do I, I have? I know we're going like we've we've gone like yeah. crazy long on this, but is, we is there, have. Is there an assignment or some homework sure that is. I need to work on? Oh, okay, yeah. I'm taking notes. Totally okay, is. what do I have to do? Tess? All right. Okay. This is something that a lot of people that I've worked with have really resonated with. So I'm going to throw this one at you, mainly because you struggled to find something in your childhood or adolescence that really demonstrated vulnerability or, or, or bravery or pride at okay. that one moment. So this is an activity, I refer to it as my superhero activity, okay. finding your inner superhero okay. through the evidence that you've already got in something that you've done already. So something that you've overcome. Now, I love it when people are able to find something from their childhood okay. because it's a time when we don't expect to be superheroes. Okay. It doesn't mean that you have to have had the most traumatic childhood in the world to be able to demonstrate that you've been a superhero. Okay. It might be that you just, you just once said no to a teacher that you really respected and it was a really brave no. And okay. you look back on that and think, wow, that was actually pretty out there for me as a okay. kid. So the, the, the task, Think back, you might need to do some writing and some journaling and scribbling to figure this out for yourself, yep. but think back to a moment where you are super proud and find a photo from that time in your life that Ooh. illustrates. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, but it could be, it could Some... be, uh, it doesn't have to be me. It could just be like, a... oh, no, it needs to be you. No, it needs to be you. It needs to be you. me. Oh, oh yeah. wow. That's going to be rough. Yeah. Okay. I just yeah. don't, yeah, don't yeah. have that tons of digital photos. Okay. Okay, so, well, you might have to find a real photo and scan it or something. Okay, um, I got, I, you know what? I already got one. I got, it. I got an answer and I got the picture. Oh, man, that's too easy. No. Oh, is it too no easy? No, I'm super proud. proud. I was amazing for this. <laughs> no? Okay, you're amazing. You're amazing. <laughs> no, no, I, I found, I got one now because I got, you, you said pictures and it triggered a memory and like, oh, that's, that's it. Awesome. That's okay, okay, okay. Do you want to share it or do you want to save it for next time? What do you want to do? Oh, up to you. I don't know. It gives you I don't, I don't mind. It's your show, man. <laughs> so, so when I was, when I was uh, in my baseball card collecting days, we used to go to spring training every year. My, my mom would take me to spring training. It was me and her. We went down. And in spring training, uh, the baseball players get ready for the season and they play on these really small stadiums. So you can get mm -hmm. close to them and get access. We're in the giant stadiums during the season you don't get to. And in, in 92, 93, I would be 12 and 13 years old. We went down and I knew all the players on the entire team, even like the, the substitute and rookies and like bench warmers that nobody knew. And I had everybody's baseball card. Uh, ready to go and from when they were driving in I knew who it was that's Roberto Alomar that's Vince Horseman that's whoever and would get my card ready to the point where I mean I'm 12 years old and there's people who are like in their 40s and 50s then trailing me to say who's that who's that guy who's that guy and they're like trying to find their cards um, and so that made me feel great that here I am this 12 year old knowing all the players feeling like a, a superstar with all these adults around me who didn't know what they were doing um, and then I went to go Vince Horseman. I, I name dropped because he's a nobody baseball player. He had like a season or two. Uh, but I went up and asked him to sign my baseball where nobody knew who he was. And like, he could walk through and nobody would know him. And like, that's Vince Horseman. And I got him to sign my ball and also made his day that a kid was asking him for his autograph. So those, that entire week for both years, I felt like such a superhero uh, and my mom was so proud and we we're taking pictures of the players and all the artists were trailing me around. Um, so that, that's, that's what I'm thinking of. I got lots of pictures of me with the base. I have to find them. I don't think they're digital. Yeah. 
I still have some of the autographs cool. on my on my thing behind. Um, is that that's a good one? That's cool. And also what I love about that, that that's that that's that maturity for a twelve year old to be able to envisage what this is going to be like, what this is going to feel like for for Vince, and knowing that you're sharing something that is going to make his day special. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome for a twelve year old boy to be able to just pull that off. I love it. Homework then is to okay. do similar exercise. But okay. overcoming something, overcoming something that was a challenge for you, that was awkward or difficult or painful or scary or something. So a different kind of superhero for you. Still a, as a child, same, still young? Still as you, could be you as a child, could be you as an adolescent or a young adult, but the thing that you're most proud of. My, I'll, I'll tell you my superhero, and I'll, I'll have to dig up the photo to show you. My superhero photo is a photo that I keep with me all the time. It's actually the wallpaper on my laptop. Wow. And it's just me me as a nine-year-old standing in the snow and so it's not anything spectacular photographically but the story is that me as a nine-year-old i'm in between two world wars between my parents okay right so they divorced when i was six things started getting really hairy when i was 10 and at nine i was happy enough to just play in the snow even though i'd already been through all this trauma and i was gonna go through more I was happy enough to be smiling in the snow and having an amazing time and in very calm photograph. So I look at that and I think, you know what, as a kid, I somehow managed to stay calm mm. and cool. stay strong and yeah. still play in the snow and enjoy the moment. So that's my superhero. So things you can come up with. So you've got two now. You've got your, your, your amazing superhero who helps others. Yeah. That's you at 12. Yeah. Who's the amazing superhero that represents the strength in you, that time in your life when you just did something or representative of an era in your life when you were, you can look back and be proud. Overcame a challenge, but with a challenge, right? Overcame a challenge. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to try not to think about it because I'll probably come with something and we'll save it. So when I overcame a challenge, I was scared. And do I need to find a picture of that too? That'd be or no. awesome if you could. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause I want you to have, I want you to have a superhero photograph of yourself overcoming stuff. It might be a time when you've let somebody down. Mm. And I'm proud of it. Well, sky didn't fall in. Did it? When I've let, or, or do you want just when I've let somebody down as a separate story? Oh, we can do that too. When I've let somebody down and yeah. what I'm most proud of overcoming that was a challenge. Yeah. So there you go. Okay. You sent yourself two bits of homework. <laughs> oh, I like it. I'm, I'm going to not think about it while I'm talking to you because something's going to come and I'm going to get excited. So <laughs> we'll save that for next time. Uh, for people who want to learn more about you, what you're all about, where should they be going? Facebook finding proof page, but search my name on Facebook and you'll find it. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll link it up in the description too, for everybody watching. Awesome. Tess, thank, thank you. you for the love. It's been uh, a journey and I'm, I'm pumped to dive further in. Awesome. Great fun. Thanks, Evan. If you want to see my business agent, Steve, push me to be a better entrepreneur, check the video link right next to me. I think you'll enjoy it. Continue to believe and I'll see you there.